Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. everyone to Jacob's Cabin. This is your host Anna in Indiana and here with me is Denise and we're really excited to talk about Follow the Leader. I think this was an episode that went over really well with most yeah. people. Um, it was very exciting, packed full of things for us to talk about. So um, I think we're going to start with Locke and uh, we want to discuss the question of how does Locke know where exactly to find himself when he's wounded? I mean he says the island tells him but how does the island tell him and I mean, the timing is just so perfect that they would crash and then a day or two later is just the exact day. And how did he know it was that day? And, and like, what time that he was going to be coming out of the woods and exactly. everything like that? I have to wonder if part of that is maybe because of being um, resurrected, maybe his mind works in a different way and he can kind of remember all of these timelines, even though they're they're completely not linear really anymore. Oh. I wonder if he has, like, a new way of even possibly thinking about things, that he can kind of keep track of everything all at once. Oh, I like that way of thinking about it. That's really good. Because, I mean, we don't know what it's like to think after you've been resurrected, but maybe you can do more stuff like that, you know? Yeah, I would guess it would be different. Um, didn't he say that while he was dead, there was really nothing going on? Yeah, I think um, so. That, you know, no memories from that time, at least. Now, do you think the island tells him things through visions? Or are the visions over now that he's resurrected? I don't know. I have to kind of wonder, you know, maybe it could be visions or maybe it could just be spontaneous thoughts that pop into his head, kind of like a little reminder system, like, ding, 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 you're about to come out of the woods. Kind of like Desmond when he got the memory yeah. of Daniel Faraday visiting him? Yeah, whenever I found out that Locke had told Albert to tell him all of that stuff, I thought my brain was going to melt out of my ears. I was like, I just, I can't even contemplate this. Like, it... Well, you know, it's it's a very close parallel to the whole idea of the compass, which we talked about yeah. um, back when that episode um, aired, when, when he handed in the compass, and we were trying to figure out, okay, where did the compass originate? Right. Well, this is exactly the same thing, except with an idea instead of an object. And the idea is, I need to come back to the island, and I need to bring everybody back with me. And so, who really originated this idea? Because it seems now that Locke told Richard to tell himself, so he got the idea from himself? I mean, how does that work? Like, basically, that means Locke told himself that he needs to die. Yeah. So, did it really have to happen? Is it some sort of self-fulfilling prophecy? Maybe. It's really sad if that's the case. Did yeah. he not really have to? And then, also, another question is... Um, why did he think he needed to bring everyone back? Because he knows that he was able to bring everyone back, and so he tells his past self, you need to bring everyone back? 
I mean, that just doesn't make a lot of sense to me because maybe they didn't all have to come back. Or he has some other purpose for them being back that we haven't seen yet. And I can't think what that would be. Well, do you think whenever he was saying that everyone needs to come back that he knew that not everyone was going to come back in present time? Did he know that people were going to be, you know, morphed back to 77? Oh, that's a good question. You know, because maybe he knows that they needed to go back to 77 to do something to make the present what it is. Yeah, which also leads to the question, what would be different in 77 if they hadn't been there? Yeah, like, would it course correct? Would other people do this? Would Radzinski be beating on, I don't know, Chang or something? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Now, what do you think about the, um, the timelines that, that we see happening? I mean, do you think there's going to be an alternate timeline? Do you think that Jack's plan is going to work, basically? I don't know. I, I really don't want it to be, you know, we fixed it so the airplane doesn't crash and then mm-hmm. all the last five seasons don't mean anything. Yeah. I really don't want to see that and I'm really, really scared of that. Almost to the point where I'm like, oh god, if they do that, I'm going to be upset. Like, I'm still going to love the show, but I'm going to be really upset if that happens, because then, really, what has the point been? Yeah. Well, I was thinking about that because of what Richard Alpert says, um, that he saw them all die. I know, my jaw hit the floor. Yeah, but I wonder if he actually saw them die or just thinks he saw them die. Maybe if the bomb went off and they flashed at the exact same time like, to present time. Maybe he thinks he saw them get killed by the bomb, but in reality, they're going to the present time. Yeah, that's one possibility. And plus, if they kept on the timeline that we've seen them on so far in Mm -hmm. 77, then if they are able to explode this bomb, then that would, um, it, it would appear to kill them, but then it would alter the future timeline if it works the way Jack's thinking it's gonna work. Therefore, Sun would not be on the island asking Richard that question in the first place, right? Yeah, I think that that's what that would mean. It's really, it's kind of hard to keep up. It is. Yeah, speaking of Sun, whenever we found out that Locke isn't really on a mission to help her get back to Jin, I, my heart just broke for her. Mm-hmm. Because you can see that that's all that she's clinging to. Yeah. And now she doesn't even have, well, she doesn't know, but she doesn't really have that hope anymore right now. Yeah, and that seems so strange for Locke because... Last season, he was so adamant about, no, I'm not a manipulative leader like you, Ben. Right. You know, I didn't trick Hurley into thinking he's doing this because he wants to. He actually wants to. Mm -hmm. Or maybe, you know, maybe he was manipulating him and lying to Ben then, too. I mean, it it really makes you doubt a lot about John Locke and what his motives are. And Richard Alpert has always been someone who I've just assumed, okay, we can trust him. You know, we've always seen him do the right thing. Like, he's probably telling the truth. Yeah, and now he's saying, I think we're going to have a problem with John Locke. I'm like, oh no, they're on separate teams now. Yeah, what would it mean if all the stuff that Locke has said has been manipulations and lying? Like, has he turned into the new Ben? He would be an even better liar than Ben if that's the case. And do you remember whenever they were, I think it was right after the whole Richard fixing his leg thing, he just had the the trademark lock grin. Yeah. And it was a very knowing grin. The one um, after Richard said, good thing you didn't have to die. Yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I don't, man, seriously, what would it mean if Locke became the bad guy? That would just... It would change the tenor of the show entirely. It would turn everything around. 
And I think he would be a really good bad guy because he can just pull everything off and, you know, he keeps it all so close that he doesn't, you know, let anybody in to see what's really going on. Yeah, and, and there have been a lot of things, I think, that have prepared him for that. Mm-hmm. Um, killing his father, even though he wasn't technically the one that did it, um, he did have to sort of go through a, a certain hardening process. Right. He knows that Helen is dead. And so he's basically cut himself off from anything that um, has sentimental meaning. So, I mean, maybe that's why he can be so cold with Sun and, and lie to her. Because, you know, he's he's felt the same thing, but, you know, he knows it's hopeless for himself. And so maybe, I don't know, maybe he's jealous and he doesn't want her to have that. Or maybe he just doesn't care. Yeah, it seems, I don't know about jealousy, but it does seem like he just, that's not even on his radar of things to care about. Yeah, and he says he's not afraid of Ben, which is interesting. I mean, as far as if he were a bad guy, he's he's already proven that he can't really die. Well, I mean, he what... died and he came back, so, you know, yeah. what are you going to do? You, like he said to Ben in the previous episode, what are you going to do, kill me again? Yeah, I mean, after you've already been killed by somebody once, what's left to be scared of them by? Yeah, exactly. You know, what does Locke have to lose? He doesn't have material possessions to lose. He doesn't have family members to lose. What can Ben do to him, you know? Yeah. So we found out what Locke actually thinks he's here to do, and it's kill Jacob. Now, do you think this is actually possible? I mean, does Jacob even have a corporeal form? Exactly. I mean, first of all, I almost fell out of my chair whenever I heard, oh yeah, we're going to kill Jacob. I was like, what on earth is going on here? Yeah, well, one thing, I, I I said this during Heath's initial reaction last mm-hmm. night, or this morning, I guess, um, that maybe it's not killing in the conventional sense of, all right, I'm going to stab you with a knife, shoot you with a gun. Maybe that's why he's taking everyone with him. He just wants to kill the idea of Jacob. Because he seems to think there isn't really anyone. He thinks that it's just a made-up thing, and so whenever anyone needs something to get done on the island, they're like, well, Jacob told me to do it. Jacob sent me to you. I mean, we've seen him use that line, and so maybe that's why he knows it's not true, because he pulled that line on Richard Alpert, Mm -hmm. and Alpert swallowed it. And now he's like, hey, I didn't really talk to Jacob. I didn't really get that idea from Jacob, but you bought it. So So I think he's taking all these people there to expose the fact that there is no Jacob, and that will in effect, kill the idea of Jacob. Yeah, that it's all just a smoke and mirrors show, you know? Yeah. But if there is actually something there, he'll be surprised, I think. Yeah. But like you're saying, is there a corporeal form? Is there a body? Or is it just a spirit? And if it's a spirit, you know, that could lead to other implications. I was wondering if maybe the sonic fence is also to keep Jacob away. Huh. Like, possibly, you know? Because we don't necessarily know where the cabin is. It moves around. Mm -hmm. But what if... What if the fence kind of protects them from Jacob or protects Jacob from other things? That could be. You know? Could be, yeah. Especially if he if he doesn't really have a body, if he's just a spirit. You know, we know that the fence can stop smoking. Maybe the fence could stop spirits, too. Hmm. Yeah. Now, going back to the um, visiting Jacob thing, I thought it was interesting when Locke told Richard and Ben that he wanted to go. And Alpert said, there's no reason to rush into going to see Jacob. That made me think, okay, is Richard stalling for time? Yeah. Is he trying to buy more time because he needs to set up some elaborate thing so that when Locke actually gets there, I don't know, something happens, you know, you turn on a flashlight and things start happening. He needs to tie a string to the rocking chair and have someone pulling it from outside. (laughs) 
you know? Like an old school haunted house? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, is it all just a big show? That would be hilarious. Like, I can totally see them doing, like, yeah, Jacob, don't you see him sitting there? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was interesting also because what Ben had said right before that is it doesn't work that way. And we heard him say that in season four. He's like, Jacob's not a man you go visit. Yeah. He gets summoned. Well, Locke went and took the initiative and visited him. And guess what? Locke's fine. In fact, he died and came back to life again. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it makes sense that Locke doesn't really pay attention to Richard and Ben. He's kind of proven them wrong already. Yeah. And they're just stalling and I don't know why. Yeah, I kind of was wondering, maybe Locke is going there to possibly trap Jacob. Oh. Since, you know, we have been theorizing forever that Jacob is trapped and that's why he needs help. Mm-hmm. Like, either um, he's going to trap him then or he will have trapped him in the past and he's going to let him out when he realizes he can't kill him. That's an interesting idea. If he's the one who trapped Jacob, though, then why did Jacob say, help me? I don't know. But I do like the idea that that he trapped him. um, Maybe he trapped him a long, long time ago, you know? Maybe there's stuff that we don't know that's happened with John. Hmm. Maybe there was some crazy time flash and he trapped him or something. Yeah, you know, I was thinking there were going to be more time flashes this season at some point. Yeah, you had such a nice little map. (laughs) But I was... Basing that on the theory that, wait, he hasn't told Richard when to find him and help him with his leg yet, which we just saw. So that mm-hmm. kind of destroys that theory. Or maybe, maybe Albert trapped Jacob a long time ago. And that's why he doesn't really want to go. Yeah, I think I've seen that theory around on the internet. that oh, really? That it's really Albert versus Jacob or Christian versus Jacob. Mm-hmm. I've know, definitely seen the Christian people, versus Jacob one. Yeah, the people who've been on the island for such a long time. Um, what do you think of Richard being an advisor? Well, we kind of we kind of guessed that, but that still doesn't tell us why he doesn't age. Right. Like, and, need more information on that? <laughs> yeah, and he really doesn't have authority. No. Which is interesting, because he, he says things to Locke like, are, are you sure you want to do that? Or why don't we step into my tent and we'll talk about this? It's kind of like the substitute teacher. Yeah. You know? No real authority, but he's trying to kind of guide them a little bit. Yeah. But. I don't know. I don't know. Like Not he's doing the got job. Yeah, he's got the charisma to lead if he was ever allowed to, I think. Yeah. But since he's never allowed to lead, he just kind of has to settle for second best. I wonder if he led while Locke was gone for 3 years. I mean, I that think whole, he probably did. That whole thing was weird though because it seemed like they always have a leader. They seem to have two with Ellie and Charles back yeah. in the day. Then they have Ben and then as soon as Ben's gone, Locke steps in immediately. Locke disappears, and what, they have no leader for three years? Why Why would they need a leader? I don't know. It, I guess it depends if they have something they're trying to accomplish, or they just need a leader who sort of serves as a, I don't know, some sort of... Governing body, almost? Yeah, a governing body. I mean, they've got Smokey if something really, really bad happens, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, or they, they seem to have other systems worked out. Like with Juliet, she had her little trial, and then she got branded. I mean, they yeah. have these systems... You just need some sort of judge, maybe a human judge besides the Smokey judge. Maybe Smokey's just for, like, really bad things Yeah. that really weigh on your conscience. Like, he's, like, the last resort. Yeah, and maybe there's some sort of other board of people. That's interesting. I like that idea. Yeah, it just seems strange with all their focus on the leaders that they would go leaderless for three years. 
Yeah, were they just like running around in circles? Oh God, I don't know what to do. I don't have a leader. Yeah, and then that girl run up, ran up to Richard Alpert and said, he's back. You know, like Richard would have any idea who she's talking about after three years. Yeah. He's back. Well, that's vague enough, you know? Yeah, definitely. Speaking of Smokey, I was thinking about, you know, Smokey's drain and all of that stuff. And I was wondering if the drain connects to the tunnels. Yeah, I wonder And if the it does. tunnels are maybe, maybe that's how they travel. Yeah. Well, it depends how extensive the tunnels are underground. We don't really know. Um, how did they build them? Yeah, that's another good question. It was kind of like the pyramids, you know? Yeah. Okay, so I was wondering last night, since the bomb is in the tunnels, do you think the bomb is under Ben's house and that's part of why he lives in that house? Do you think other houses connect to the tunnels too? Well, do you think Ben knows the bomb is there because he didn't seem to know about where to go to be judged by smoking, unless he was just pretending not to know, but he doesn't seem to know about the whole system of underground tunnels. So does he even know? I mean, he knows about the smoky drain. Is that why he picked the house? But he doesn't know that it connects to the rest of it. I mean, he's a really ignorant yeah. leader. Maybe there's another kind of trap door behind smoky drain to get to all of these tunnels. Maybe. I was a little... And, oh, and oh. that's how the hostiles can get around the fence. Well, then they'd come up in a house, wouldn't they? But maybe there's more than one exit. Yeah, I mean, there could be exits Inside all of Dharmaville, you know? Yeah. Yeah, there could be some around the perimeter, which is why we saw mm -hmm. Richard walking um, walking out of the jungle. What confused me was they went to a pond, they swam underwater, and they end up pretty close to the bomb, wouldn't you say? I mean, yeah. we didn't really see... I mean, they were kind of walking along these tunnels for a ways, but I didn't get the idea that they were trekking across the entire island just under underground. Mm -hmm. So how close did they enter? I mean, were they in Dharma Initiative territory when they even swam into the tunnel and up into that chamber in the first place? I don't know. I mean, obviously that can't be the only entrance to the tunnels. Yeah. Because it seems like it would be a very bad idea to take the bomb underwater like that. Yeah, but then how far away were the other entrances yeah. if they had to risk their lives swimming underwater? Because Jack was like, well, that was further than I thought. I mean, yeah. it was sort of a risky thing to do if there were a more convenient entrance someplace else, and why was Jack swimming in the jumpsuit? I mean, that is, like, the bulkiest... It's got to be really heavy to I swim know. in. It made no sense. That's, like, it would trap so much water. If you got water inside <laughs> of it, you'd be, like, big water balloon man. <laughs> you know, that was a horrible idea. But, yeah, they did have to swim really far to get under there. It's further than I thought. Yeah. But whenever they came up, it kind of reminded me of, like, the moon pool in the looking glass station... Mm -hmm. You know, that's what oh, yeah. I thought of right away, because it, it just had that same kind of docking sort of place. I don't know. The like, steps made me think of James Bond for some reason. I think see, there's got to be some James Bond movie where, where they come up in a little pool and there's steps. and. See, I think Colin mentioned something like he's done something similar to that in a Tomb Raider game. Huh. I haven't played Tomb Raider, but he mentioned that, and he's like, that looks a lot like something I've done in a video game. Huh. And it kind of, you know, the tunnels made me think of Indiana Jones and stuff, too. Yeah. But I, it's been so long since I watched them that I can't remember if there ever is a thing where they have to swim down to something like that. Oh, I can't remember either. It's been a while since I watched Indiana Jones, too. I feel like James Bond does a lot more swimming. I've never watched a whole James Bond movie. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Well, we can ask Matt at work, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> um, so how do you think they're supposed to move the bomb? Through the tunnels? Yeah. 
That's a good question. I mean, do they have like a cart they're going to put it on? They can't roll it. It, it seems so dangerous, you well, know? Well, they said it was, what, 40,000 pounds? Yeah, 20 tons. What could possibly lift that on the island? That's true. Even if they had it on wheels, could they really roll it very easily with yeah. just the four of them? Maybe Smokey helps. Whoa. You know that, well... <laughs> Maybe Smokey has like a really powerful arm and he can like pull it along... I don't know. I was kind of thinking before I remembered how much it weighed, maybe they carried it on poles kind of like the metal box that I'm still waiting to find out what's inside. Oh, that would be that would be good. And that's like Indiana so Jones too. That is. It definitely is. But yeah, 40,000 pounds. How did they get it there? And can how they, are they supposed to move it? Well, can they detonate it where it is? How close does it actually have to be? I mean, it's going to have a, a, well, a wide reach, right? Well, they're under New Otherton, and yeah. they're supposed to detonate it at the Swan, which is out in hostile territory. Mm-hmm. So if it's supposed to be close, I don't necessarily think that that's very close, you know? Yeah. It's still, I would think it would be within a few miles, wouldn't you? Probably, but we don't get really a good sense of how far apart things are. That's also true. <laughs> Speaking of that... How does Radzinski expect Sawyer to draw a map? Yeah, the landmarks would be... There's a rock over here. Yeah. There's a few trees here. Yeah. Go past the trees. When you see a vine, turn left. What? Well, even if he could draw him a really accurate map, what's the point? Like, what is Radzinski going to do? I mean, the island is only so big. You'd think he could find him. You know, he seems to be a fairly intelligent guy, although kind of angry. Kind of. And sort of hasty. A little bit. But, you know, I think... If he really wanted to find the hostels, he could probably figure out a way to do it. And what does he want to do? Does he want to go attack the hostels? I wonder if he's all just, you know, he's all talk and no action. Like, he's too scared to actually do this. And that's why he's being all big and puffing up his chest. Because he's too scared to actually confront the hostiles. Because he doesn't know what they could do to him. Oh, that's a good point. He did say he was going to kill Sawyer, but do you think he really would have gone that far? I don't think so. He didn't, he wasn't willing to beat Juliet, which Phil was. Yeah. I mean, that, that shows a lot of what his character actually is. Yeah, no doubt. So I don't know if Radzinski really would have killed Sawyer or just, just hurt him a lot and, you know, left him mostly dead. Yeah, they, they both need some comeuppance for sure. Yeah. Um, to go back to the bomb thing, something I was thinking about, um, I was wondering if detonating the bomb... And the interaction this would have with the energy on the island already, would this maybe make the island revert back to some previous state? You know, forget the alternate timelines and everything, but would it make the island... Well, I mean, I was thinking of this because of Desmond. Mm -hmm. And what happened when he released all that energy. He ended up in the jungle naked. It was sort of like a rebirth. Yeah. And he had all his old memories and things, but he also had a new ability to see these flashes of what was going to happen. So, is something similar going to happen to the island? Is it going to revert back to some other state where it has, I mean, basically the island's memories? Um, I'm talking about the island like it's a sentient being, but we've... It kind of is. Yeah, it, it, it seems to talk to people like John Locke, if we can take his word for it. So, is it going to retain all those memories and then have something added to it? Yeah, see, I was kind of wondering if, with the adding to it, that's the island getting its healing powers. Oh. 
and before maybe they were all just concentrated in one area, like uh-huh. the temple, which is why they took Ben to the temple. Yes. And then detonating the bomb Ooh. would spread the powers out over the whole island, maybe diluting them a little bit. Ooh. Because we haven't seen other people come back from being that injured before. But it does seem to speed up the healing process. Yeah. When Locke's leg was injured um, at one point a couple seasons ago, um, Rose said to him, honey, we both know it won't take that long. Yeah, that's a really interesting idea. And maybe, I don't know, maybe there's still a little bit more power down in the swan, you know. But once the swan was gone, then, I don't know, it's just kind of all floating out there, you know. Yeah. Yeah. That would be really neat if that's what ended up happening. Because then, you know, that wouldn't explode the island if it was, like, exploding healing powers out, which in my mind right now is exploding rainbows out, but... (laughs) I was picturing that, too. (laughs) But, you know, at least it wouldn't... At least it wouldn't destroy the island since we know the island is there in the future. Yeah, but then what does this have to do with the pregnancy issues? Like, I, I always go back to that because... It seems like the opposite of healing. I mean, yeah, on the surface that sounds like it's not necessarily a healing thing, but maybe if there's something about the island that they don't really want new life on the island, new human life anyways, Hmm. or there's something weird with the time changing, like maybe it really messes with people growing and, I don't know, they start looking like they're 50 whenever they're like two. Hmm. You know, maybe it's the island kind of protecting the people that are there by saying you can't have kids because if you do, they'll be mutants. Yeah, I mean, I wonder if they would get to a point being constantly infused with healing powers that either they wouldn't age like Richard Alpert or they'd be stuck at a certain age. Not to bring heroes into this discussion, but there are a couple people on heroes who have had the ability to heal themselves constantly, whatever happens to them. And they reach a certain age and then they stop aging Mm -hmm. for, you know, centuries. So I wonder if something like that would happen here. And speaking of island pregnancies, um, whenever Ellie and Widmore were standing there talking, you know, Russell Crowe, Widmore and everything, Mm -hmm. um, the way that he was holding her and touching her stomach like that, you know, that's not a normal way to stand. Yeah. So I was wondering if maybe she's pregnant with Daniel right then. Yeah, I wonder that too. And the age could be about right. I mean, it would make him close to 30 years old, Mm -hmm. which he said he was the youngest... Doctor ever at Oxford. Yeah. So that makes sense. It would make him about six or seven years younger than Charlotte. Yeah. Um, Not in real life for the actress, of course. Right. Um, But, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it just, it didn't look like a normal way to stand. And if maybe necessarily they weren't the strongest couple, really, that's why whenever someone was asking, are they a couple? And I think it was Albert said, well, it's complicated. Love is complicated. Yeah, like maybe that is what's complicating their relationship. Maybe. Yeah. Um, Because we haven't seen a lot of children with the others. Right. For one thing. So, you know, maybe they're not supposed to have children or um, maybe no one's had children for a while and there have been some complications just among the others Mm -hmm. as far as, as childbearing. Yeah, like maybe Ethan was the last kid born or something. Well, he wasn't born to the others, though. Well, unless his mom's another. Well, that's still up in the air. We haven't seen her for a while. I know. Where is she hanging out at? I don't know. Taking care of Ethan, I guess. Yeah. But speaking of mothers and stuff, I I really liked watching Miles realize that Chang 
was having to force his mom and him to get off the island, mm -hmm. and that made him realize that his dad really did love him. Yeah. I liked that part. Yeah. Now, what's Chang going to do left behind on the island? Do you think he's going to make that video that everyone's been talking about for weeks now? It'd be a good time to make the video, I think, especially if something crazy is about to happen, since we'd be, what, three hours, two or three hours off from it happening? Yeah. Okay, now, when um, Sawyer and Juliet were getting on the sub, and Sawyer said ladies first, did you not think... He's not going to get on the sub. I totally thought that. I thought he is going to let her get off the island and have a real life and he's going to go back and be the hero. And then he got on the sub and I was like, no, you can't get on the sub. But I think the biggest reason why I don't want them to get on the sub is because I think that would basically be them giving up hope of ever getting back to the future. Unless there's some way that whenever something happens to put everything back right again, um if that would pull them out from the United States or whatever and put them back on Oceanic A15 or whatever. But I really want Juliet to be reunited with her sister. Yeah. Like, that is the one thing I want for Juliet more than anything. And so her getting on the sub was like, no, if you leave the island, then you might not get put back to the right time and you might not get to see your sister and her son and... I was kind of wondering if maybe they won't be able to really leave the island because they weren't drugged on the submarine. Like, maybe that will affect their traveling on the sub somehow. I thought that was just for convenience, though. But maybe it's not. Maybe there's even some sort of super complex autopilot so that everyone gets drugged. But the pilot can't be drugged. If it was super complex autopilot. Well, huh. But this is an emergency, yeah. Who knows what would happen in an emergency situation like this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And where do you think the sub would be going to? Because I don't see how a submarine could get to Ann Arbor, Yeah, Michigan. I don't think they'd go there directly. I guess they'd go somewhere on the West Coast and then fly everybody to Ann Arbor. Yeah. I think that probably my favorite funny part, anyways, was whenever Chang was asking Hurley all the questions to try to figure oh, yeah. out if they were from the future. And Hurley's like, um... I was born in 41 or... 31. 31, yeah. 31, yeah. And... You're 46? Yeah. And yeah. There's no Korean War. And then he's like, who's the president? And you could see Hurley just going, man, I knew I should have learned that. And he told him, didn't he? Didn't Sawyer tell him? I don't oh, no, think he that he did. Her. I'm just thinking of my, when my dad told me. <laughs> but I was like, I was like, oh, poor Hurley. But I just, I love Hurley so much. Yeah, that was a great part. Yeah, it really was. Yeah, there were some good Sawyer nicknames in this one, too. He called, uh, well, the captain of the sub, he called him Nemo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, good ones. Well, I think uh, we're at the end of our segment for today. So thanks for coming over. Yeah, thanks again. I know we're really looking forward to the finale I can't next believe week. that this time next week we're going to be talking about the finale. I know. That, ah. I mean, it just doesn't even seem real. I know. This season has gone by so fast. I'm excited to come over to your apartment and eat good food. Yep. <laughs> you guys got... can be jealous because we're doing homemade calzones and fruit pizza and everything. Oh, yeah. We're going to have a little mini lost party yes, where no will. one's allowed to talk during the episode. Otherwise, we'll smack them. You know, yes. all three of us that are there. <laughs> but still. <laughs> yeah. If you guys are doing something, then, you know, let us know right on the blog. Tell us if you're having a party with your friends for Lost. I'm sure we'll see you guys all around on Twitter, those of you who follow us on Twitter. Yep. Um, and we're considering doing an initial reaction right after the um, episode next week. It'd be kind of late 
Because the episode will end at 11 o'clock Eastern time for Yeah, us. not as late as Heath's, but I no. wake up really early <laughs> for work, late, but... so I can never make it to his initial reactions. Yeah. So, so we were thinking maybe like 11, 10, 11, 15, you know, go to the bathroom after the episode, maybe grab a snack and then get on the initial reaction call. Maybe, you know, 45 minutes or something mm-hmm. for those of us that have to get up really early. Yeah, and for those of us who are in the Eastern and Central time zones, because... Everyone else will still be watching the finale. Yeah, they'll probably just be starting it. Yeah, and then when they finish, they'll have a podcast to listen to. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so uh, check the blog if you want more information on that. That's AnnaInIndiana.wordpress.com. If you're not already following us on Twitter, my name is EchoBase77, and... I am Sharp Cheddar, like the cheese. <laughs> All right, so you can follow both of us. You know, I was in the store today, and I saw some chips, and the flavor was sharp cheddar, and I almost <gasps> bought them for you. <laughs> that would be awesome. <laughs> we should have cheese and crackers at the finale, even oh, though we're having calzones, have too. Gotta have cheese. I know. Donald, what is with you <laughs> not liking cheese? We just don't understand. I'm sure the Wisconsin people out there with us all the way. Yep. All right. Thanks for coming over, Denise. Yep. for some feedback. You can tell it's a great episode when there's lots of great feedback, so I've got quite a few voicemails here to start things off. Hey, Anna and Denise. Uh, this is Dave in Detroit. Uh, my only thing about this episode is when Jack and C.E. come up into the tunnels, neither one of them questions who built this, how long has this been here, you know? A little surprised Jack didn't. But that's my only point. Bye. Well, Dave, that's a really good point, uh, and something we always wish the characters would do more, ask more questions, and uh, in the last episode, we saw Jack ask a lot of questions. When Faraday returned, Faraday was trying to ask Jack questions, and Jack wasn't answering. He was returning more questions. How'd you get back here? So I kind of thought Jack was sort of in question-asking mode, but apparently he's not, and he's not curious about, hey, we thought we were on a more or less deserted island. How did all these really elaborate, carved, pillared caverns and chambers and tunnels get here? It's a it's a great question, and it's one that Jack should be asking. Hi, Anna. This is Stacy from Portland calling you about Follow the Leader. That was a great episode. I really loved it. I loved, um, you know, seeing Locke and Ben again, and I think my favorite part was when Saeed shot that guy and then popped up out of the jungle. Man, that was great. I forgot how much I missed Saeed. Uh, Good to have him back. So, hey, one thing I was very confused about is um, when they finally found Jughead underground and Jack was standing next to it, it looks so much smaller than when we first saw it. I mean, when, when Daniel first saw it, he had to, like, climb up on scaffolding, and it looked like it was as big as a two-story building, and now it's as maybe as big as a person I, I don't know it, it just floored me that it was that big of a difference so I'm kind of confused maybe you can help me out looking forward to um, next week and also to your podcast okay bye all right Stacy I looked at some screen caps and I was trying to figure this out um, with the bomb it, it does look a lot bigger in the episode Jughead um, it looks like it's 
at least twice Daniel Faraday's height when he's standing next to it, and then when you see it in the tunnels when it's laying down, it's hard to see the full length of it. I guess maybe if Jack or Saeed laid down on the ground next to it, it might look like it were twice their height, but it does look smaller just at first glance. Um, I was trying to look at the writing, because you can see the writing Jughead in um, both times, but... Um, that, I think, looks about the same, so I don't think we're supposed to jump to any conclusions about it being a different bomb or that something's really happened to it, but yeah, the perspective is, is weird and, and does kind of throw you for a loop there. Hello, Jacob Cavan. Uh, this is Dave Froman, and I have a crazy theory I have here. My theory is, excuse me, what if Penny and Faraday are full brother and sister this would probably be blown up if somehow, some way, Penny said that her mother said something about her mother that she met her or whatever. Okay, here it is. Let's say that Ellie quits the hostiles after uh, Richard does not heal Faraday. So that increases the, the rift between the two because, remember, they already have the rift with uh, Ben. So let's say the rift continues and she just quits being a hostile slash other. She wants to leave the others, so therefore she's going to be marked just like Juliet was in A Stranger in a Strange Land in Season 3. So once she leaves the island, she's basically a free agent. So her and Charles still have quote-unquote relations, and somehow, someway, Penny is born. So for the events to happen in the future, Penny has to go with Charles, and Faraday has to go with Ellie. So let me know what you think. Thanks. Hmm, an interesting theory, Abe Froman. Here's an, another possibility. What if they're twins? What if Penny and Daniel are twins? I'm not really sure how old we're supposed to assume Penny is, so I'm not sure if that's really possible, but it'd be like the parent trap where one sibling goes with one parent and the one goes with the other, and they never know about it until they meet up later. <laughs> so, um, yeah, the parent trap. Um, or it, it could be that she became an off-island person and that was why he was having this relationship with someone off-island. Personally, I don't see much evidence that they're full brother and sister, and, and that kind of would add to what Richard said to Jack. Love is complicated in relation to uh, Charles and Ellie's relationship. And certainly if Widmore were leaving the island really often, and if he had um, some other woman off the island somewhere, that would certainly make things complicated, especially with, um, well, we're assuming Ellie's pregnant right now from the way that Charles was touching Ellie's stomach. Hello, Anna, Denise. This is JD, man. Okay, this is what I predict for next week's episode leading into season six. Now, very quickly, I'm just going to say that somehow when they're moving that hydrogen bomb, they'll get it near the swan where the incident occurred, and that's where it's going to explode. And everyone who's back in that time, Kate and Jack, Sawyer, Saeed, Juliet, Miles, and um, Jin will all be there. When the incident, what's going to happen, I believe it's going to send everyone back to the right time that's supposed to be there. And when they disappear, 
Richard will be watching, and that's how he saw them die. And... Hmm. They'll end it with them disappearing. And you'll have to wait all summer to figure it out, but uh, I think that's what's going to happen. And, um... Nope, if I say too much, it'll end up coming to bite me, so I'll just call it quits right now, and... Yeah, I'm done. Later, Anna. Good to hear from you as always, JD Man. Thanks for sending in your comment with an interesting prediction for how the season will wrap up and lead into season six. Leave us hanging with all the people we know and love disappeared. That would definitely, definitely leave us wondering over the summer where they went. Um, and uh, that's also a good theory about maybe this is why Richard Alpert thinks that they're dead because he sees them disappear. The only thing I have to say to that is he's seen people disappear in front of him before and they've come back later. I mean, he saw Locke disappear back in 1954 and Locke was with Daniel Faraday and the others who he has seen in the 70s already. So if he really thought about it, he would realize they're not dead. Something else is happening here. I think it's interesting that as long as Richard seems to have lived, he has never seen people time travel before. It seems that this sort of cataclysmic event has never quite happened on the island before. And as for what you said about moving the bomb, I mean, that brings up a lot of questions. Uh, moving the bomb from under Dharmaville to the Swan, how is this going to be possible in the short amount of time that they seem to have left? And it, it kind of makes me wonder if the tunnels are maybe shortcuts, um, kind of like wormholes or something. And, and I've read this in science fiction books before where you enter a certain tunnel and you still have to travel a ways to get to where you're going, but the distance is shortened significantly and so it's your advantage to use the tunnel to travel. Hey Anna, it's Alex in Boston. Um, I'm wondering if you guys, you and Denise, can sort of help me sort something out. Um, you know, I watch Lost every week and I listen to podcasts, so I'm not a casual fan. Um, I'm also not uh, a complete idiot. I'm not the brightest bulb in the world, but um, I have practiced law for 11 years and, and written a book. Um, and with all that, I don't completely understand um, the different timelines. The scene with Locke confused me a lot that he was sort of directing himself to do something before he disappeared. I guess I'm curious. I just don't know. Um, I think there are three timelines. I know that there's 1974. I know there's 2004. And then there's 2007. So I'm wondering who's in which timeline. Um, are any people in 2004 and any people in 2007? I know a bunch of people are in 1974, and I know some people are in the future, but I'm just not sure um, where. So I guess I'm wondering if um, you guys could kind of give, uh, you know, a clear um, explanation of this, just sort of if you had to explain it to, you know, a 10-year-old child, how would you kind of describe these three timelines? So um, sort of putting you on the spot, but, but I honestly um, don't fully understand this, and, you know, I sort of think I should. I don't really blame myself because um, I, I don't think it's clear to anyone but the hardest core fan, and so I'm relying on um, both your uh, intelligence and um, probably 
probably deeper study of the show to, to see what you can come up with. Um, so thanks a lot. Uh, good show. And I'll talk to you later. Bye. All right, Alex, this is a, a rather challenging request to uh, explain the timelines in language simple enough for a 10-year-old. But um, let me just explain it how I see it. Um, you mentioned three different years, 74, 04, and 07. I think that at this point, we're really only dealing with two different years, and that is 77 and 2007. Um, 77 being three years after Sawyer and Juliet and Jin joined the Dharma Initiative. Um, and when Jack and Kate and Hurley and Saeed happened to return in 77. And then 07 being three years after the Oceanic Six left the island when they got on a Jira 316 and returned. I... I mean, there was a flash before the plane went down, and I think there were some questions about that, but um, I really tend to think that's 07, especially because the title cards always say 30 years ago, so I think we can just assume that it's 2007 there. So I guess the question becomes, at what point do events in 77 start to affect things in 07? And, and this is a really complicated question, because... Um, we think that things can't change, and yet if if this plan succeeds to detonate this hydrogen bomb, then everything's going to change. Or supposedly it's all going to revert back to the way it was before, but um, that, that seems sort of questionable. And the point you brought up about Locke directing himself to do something, that just makes it even more complicated, because how can your future self know what to tell your past self if it's what your future self tells your past self in order to get your past self to where your future self is with that knowledge that it needs to pass on to the past self. Oh man, I don't know if that was very clear and simple at all or not, but um, I guess I guess the main thing is um, I would call 07 the present and not the future, but then I guess I would also call 77 the present for the Losties who are living at that time, so I don't know if it's fair to say everything's present. That sort of leads to some interesting thoughts. Is everything sort of happening simultaneously? I mean, take a step back from time and, and look at the timeline. Um, you can see everything, every little dot on the timeline. Um, are they all happening simultaneously? I mean, it's kind of like, what is the nature of time? And, and it starts to kind of boggle your mind a little bit. But um, hopefully that's kind of clarified at least what the two timelines are, who is in each one, and um, for the future, I mean, maybe these two timelines are going to have to merge back together, and, and maybe that's the way things are supposed to be, because that was definitely a, a interesting line from Jack, get things the way they're supposed to be. Well, how are they supposed to be? Were they supposed to crash on the island or not? And are were they supposed to go back to 77 or not? Because... Um, if they were supposed to do these things, then they don't really need to be fixed. Hi, Anna. This is Jeff from God Loved Jacob. Um, good episode tonight. Um, I are we to assume? I'm guessing that the beginnings or, or that the blast door map had their beginnings in the map that Sawyer had to draw for Redinsky of where the hostels were located. Just seems to make sense. And uh, how about Richard Alpert? He kind of seems to be the guy uh, 
who you kind of go to to get information about the leaders that they don't want to give up. I was thinking of uh, the way that he revealed that Eloise and Charles were in love to Kate and Jack. It reminded me a lot uh, about how uh, Richard delivered the information about John Locke's father to John uh, after Ben had basically humiliated Locke in front of all the others back in season three. So uh, it's good to get lots of face time with Richard. I always enjoy some good old Richard Albert time. Hope to see more of him, and I'm sure we will in the season finale. Hey there, Jeff from the God Love Jacob podcast. Um, for your first point about the blast door map and uh, Radzinski's map, I don't really think these can be the same thing. I mean, I think that if Sawyer's drawing a map to the hostiles, he'll use other landmarks and won't necessarily put all the Dharma stations on the map. And I think that Radzinski, with how involved he is in building some of these stations, like the Swan, and seeming to spend a lot of time in places like the Flame, I don't think that he needed that knowledge from Sawyer to draw the blast door map. Now, maybe for some of the more outlying areas that had to do with the hostiles, but I think Radzinski had pretty much all the knowledge that he would have needed in order to draw the map of his own accord. And as for Richard and, and what you're pointing about, his way of delivering information to people, it's interesting because we had Ben calling him an advisor. He's been called a guide, I believe, before. And, and he just sort of feeds people information. And, and it's interesting how distant he seems from the information, you know? He's just he's just sort of a channel for the information. And, and often he doesn't seem to really take one side or the other or try to sway his listener. He sort of presents the information objectively and says, well, you know, this is the way it is. You know, love is complicated or this is so-and-so's file and, and just pass on the information. So, yeah, definitely an interesting thing to notice about Richard Alpert. Do you think that Jack is just trying to blow up the bomb so he can keep everybody on the island and keep things how they were because that's actually what he wants? Because nobody else wanted that and everybody, including Kate, was like, Jack, you're kind of not doing the right thing. Kate doesn't think he's doing the right thing. So does anybody else think he's doing the right thing is the question. I was just curious. This is TC from the KC. Well, that was one of many, many voicemails that I received from TC, a.k.a. Troy, and uh, I guess his buddy, Fake Troy. And it's an interesting question about, does Jack want things to go back to the way they were? And I, I think he really does, because of what he said in, in the tent, in Ellie's tent to Kate, when she said, um, you just erase the past three years. And he said, yeah, it's been miserable. It's been misery. And she said, not all of it. And he said, enough of it. I mean, he is ready to wipe it clean and start again, go back to his old life. Uh, basically what he would do, he would get to go home and bury his father right away. And then, you know, just move on clean from there. Never having been drug addict Jack and bearded Jack and, and having gone through all that trouble. And is Jack doing the right thing? In one of your other voicemails, you talked about Saeed and the fact that Saeed is now behind Jack. And um, we've seen all along, Jack has sort of been by himself in a lot of his convictions. Um, he was the only one who was convinced they needed to go back to the island after Locke, a.k.a. Jeremy Bentham, came around to see all of them. And uh, we still haven't really seen whether or not he was he was right to believe that, whether or not he was justified in trusting Locke's word and, and deciding that they all needed to come back to the island. So is Jack right? Well, that's something I think we're going to have to wait and see. 
with what happens next week in the finale and uh, through all of season six. Thanks again to everyone who took the time to call in and send in a voicemail. Um, let's move on to some comments on the blog. Charlie from Jersey said, What we may have found out tonight is that Richard and Ben know less about the island than we all thought. I am pretty sure neither of them know that Christian Shepherd is wandering around the place. I am hoping that the I Want to Kill Jacob line is just a log gambit to find out if Ben and Richard ever even met Jacob or if he exists at all. After all, John Locke is a son of a con man. That's an interesting point. And uh, Charlie also says, P.S. If Jacob does not exist, please don't change the name of your podcast. Yeah, no worries about that, Charlie. Uh, we'll keep the name even if Jacob doesn't exist. You know, the cabin still exists and the cabin is still identified with Jacob, so we can keep the name. Dave in Detroit mentions on the blog, I'm starting to feel bad for Richard. He's got lost. He's telling him what to do in two different time periods. That's, that's great. Um, Manuel says, I don't know why Locke still thinks Jacob doesn't exist when he already met him back in Season 3, Episode 20, In the Cabin. That's, that's a good question. Um, he, he apparently heard him speak, if that was Jacob, uh, and he did seem to believe then. Jason continues with some more comments about Locke, and he says, I am a Locke fan, but he sure is taking a lot of the mystery away from Richard's character. And why would he want to kill Jacob, and why tell Ben? From Locke's speech to the others, the only thing that really makes sense to me is that Locke doesn't believe Jacob is real, and when he says, kill Jacob, he means that he is going to expose the lie to his people. But, like everything else, there is probably more to it, because Locke used to believe in Jacob, right? He heard Jacob when Ben and him first went to the cabin, and later, when he met Christian in the cabin, he asked Christian if he was Jacob. However, that was the old Locke. This is the new and improved, resurrected Locke that is now apparently having regular conversations with the island that doesn't believe in Jacob. So anyways, Kate gets shot. Oh no, my mistake, Saeed is back, and he shoots one of the others. I kind of wish Kate did get shot. Does that make me a bad person? Well, Jason, I, I think um, you, you're probably in good company with a lot of, of uh, Lost fans out there. Oh well, not only does she not get shot, but she manages to get back to Dharmaville just in time to get a seat on the love boat and be the third wheel on Sawyer and Juliet's bicycle. Well, at least Saeed is back, and he looked pretty good for wandering around in the jungle all this time. Now that I think about it, I am not sure how long it has been since he shot Ben and escaped, but it seems at least one full day has passed since then. I know, maybe he has been staying with Rose and Bernard. It has been three years since we saw them. They should have a bamboo mansion somewhere on the island by now. And, who died in made Radzinski the king of Dharma? Yeah, they don't seem to have a very good hierarchy of, of um, who's in control of the, of the New Otherton Dharma Initiative folks. I mean, you'd think they'd have to answer to Ann Arbor. But I guess, like Sawyer said once, it's Lord of the Flies on the island. Coke Logic pointed out that Richard said he watched them die. He didn't use the word disappear. He said die. Maybe it's a misinterpretation of what was happening. And of course that would mean Jack, Kate, and Hurley were in fact fading to non-existence, so maybe Faraday's plan works. And he also asks, do you think Locke is on the light side, trying to kill Jacob to free him, or is Locke on the dark side, guided by Christian to eliminate Jacob? Locke is on a mission, but is he good or evil? Well, um, I believe Denise and I did discuss this earlier. I mean, what would be the implications if Locke turned out to be really the villain of the show? It would be very shocking. Um, he would be one of the best concealed villains for five seasons. But um, I, I can't personally imagine him 
being evil ultimately, but uh, maybe maybe he's just done such a good job of hiding it that we're supposed to think he's good. But I mean, there have been so many good things he's done, and the fact that he's been the man of faith all along, for them to take the man of faith and turn him into the worst person, I mean, that's sort of disturbing. Um, Donald says, I think Richard might have witnessed the huge explosion and thought they all died, but in fact they flashed out at the last minute. Yeah, it, I think, I agree with this. I think that if the explosion does happen, and if they do flash out, that, that he might say, well, that was them dying, although he has seen other people disappear in front of him before, but, um, you know, maybe he just got it sort of stuck in his head that, oh, they died because they ceased to exist, um, and I guess he wouldn't necessarily know at that point whether or not they ceased to exist completely, um, whether their lives were ended at, at that point, or if they just went to another point in time. Anthony wrote on the blog, is it just me, or did Richard Alpert's status as an enigma drop some points last night? Let me explain. In two different timelines, in two different pilgrimages, he seemed really disconnected from the island. He was surprised about the time-traveling element, and even Locke's return to life, even though when he said to Locke, you look different. Yeah, I mean, what does that mean that he, he could see something different about Locke? Was it something he could physically see with his eyes? Was it just a sense that, hey, something's different about this man? Or, you know, what is it? Um, does he have some sort of sixth sense that, that allows him to um, notice when there's something that's changed about other people? I mean, he, he notices something is different, but he doesn't realize that Locke has died and come back to life. So, you know, how useful is this information? Or is it just, is it just the fact that Locke seems calm and he seems like, he, you know, he smiles about things like talking about his death. He doesn't really seem to care that much. Um, when these things are mentioned. He just kind of takes it in stride now. Is that, is that what Richard's seeing? Guns Bacardi wrote, That was a fantastic episode, wasn't it? From where and whom is Locke getting his info? I had assumed that the download came from Christian, but now I'm not so sure. Since Christian is known to be able to speak for Jacob, why would he give Locke the order to kill him? Is this a mutiny? Or does Jacob really not exist? And like others have suggested, Locke's mission is not to literally kill Jacob, but kill the belief in Jacob, and Locke needs Ben and Richard there to bear witness. Um, as far as Christian speaking on behalf of Jacob, you know, Christian said that, but not really sure why we trust him. You know, maybe he wasn't really speaking on Jacob's behalf. I'm starting to sort of wonder that and, uh, and doubt Christian's word. Just because he said that doesn't mean he really does speak for Jacob. So, um, the order to kill Jacob, if it were coming from either Christian or the island, or if they're the same thing, then coming from the island, then I guess that supports the theory that some people have that there are two parties on the island, either Richard or Christian, who are fighting against against Jacob and trying to destroy him. Guns McCarty also wrote about Richard, Layers of mystery have been peeled from Richard, and he's actually not that impressive underneath. His priority, I believe, is not the well-being of the island, but his own self-preservation. And did he really watch them all die? Um, you know, about his self-preservation, I'm not so sure if he's all that concerned with it. He always lets people point guns at him, and he tries to talk them out of it. And there's also something I noticed in this episode, the second time I watched it, when Saeed comes out of the bushes, he shoots Eric, the, uh, bearded other, 
and then he's he's pointing the gun at Ellie and at Richard, and they, they raise their hands in the air, and Richard sort of steps in front of Ellie um, to sort of protect her. I'm not sure if this is because she's a leader, because she's a woman, because she's pregnant, and he's, he's thinking of all these things, all the implications it could have. I mean, what if Ellie had gotten shot while she was pregnant with Faraday? But um, that's, that's another thing entirely. But um, I think that was a really selfless thing of Richard to do, and maybe he knows that he is invincible, if he is, you know, maybe he thinks, well, if I stand in front of her, I'm basically a, a shield in front of her, and, and if I can't get hurt, then, you know, there's nothing lost if Saeed decides to shoot. DJ Chow wrote on the blog, By the look of things, it seems Eloise is the leader of the others, and I guess Charles has also influence in the group since they are in a relationship, kind of like she is the king and he is the queen. I found it odd Eloise was so easily convinced to help out with the plan, not questioning how the bomb would affect the island, which isn't the purpose of life for the others to protect the island. I'm guessing something will happen in the finale which will cause Eloise to leave or get expelled from the island, and that's when Widmore will take the opportunity to take charge, seeing he is the next in command. I really like your idea here about Eloise getting expelled as a result of the incident. If she were able to set off the hydrogen bomb, then, you know, if if things went wrong for the others because of that, and if it had terrible effects on the island, if it killed a bunch of people, which, I mean, putting the Losties back in their, their own time frame, you know, that's good for them, but what about the rest of the people who are left behind on the island? So I like your idea that she might get expelled as a result of that. Chris says on the blog, My faith in Richard is shaken. My faith in Locke is slipping. I am convinced that Jack has no idea what he is doing. Ben appears to be playing both sides, like always, but maybe he isn't all bad. Whoa, whoa, is this my co-worker Chris saying maybe Ben isn't all bad after all? Wow. Wow. Richard and Ben seem to share a secret about Jacob. Yeah, that's a good point. At least I know I can count on Hurley. Chang questioning him was classic. I tend to think Jacob doesn't exist, and Ben and Richard Alpert have been using the thought of him to control things, but I talk myself out of that idea half the time as well. <laughs> yeah, it's really easy to talk yourself into things and then out of things with regard to Lost. I'm with you there. Michael writes on the blog, I'm actually not that happy about where the show seems to be going with this episode. After having had whatever happened happen shoved down our necks all season, I don't like the idea that it could all change if the bomb is detonated. Surely, if Richard saw Jack and company die, they're going to have to change the timeline, unless he just thought he saw them die. Also, I'm not sure I like where Locke's going. The way he was talking about nobody having seen Jacob, it almost looks like he thinks Jacob doesn't even exist, which would be a big letdown, too. Yeah, I agree with you, Michael. That would be a really big letdown after a couple seasons worth of build-up to who is this guy Jacob, and is he really is he really there on the island, and, and what does he look like, and what does he actually have the ability to do, because he seems to have a lot of authority as far as spoken words, um, saying Jacob told me to do this, but he doesn't have any power really besides that. He has to ask Locke for help. And, and he doesn't seem to be able to actually affect situations, only to give commands. Josh says, The saddest part of the episode was when Sawyer was climbing on the sub and uttered a relieved good riddance when he realized he didn't see Kate slithering up behind him. I could have cried for poor old James when she made it onto the sub at the last second. Yep, I agree with you, Josh. My heart dropped when Kate came down the ladder and uh, it was just, it was so awkward, you know, she comes down and she's just like, 
hey, like, we're all in this together, you know? And and you can tell Sawyer and Juliet's faces are just like, no, we were about to be really happy and you just ruined it. Angela wrote on the blog, What an edge-of-your-seat episode. I loved Ben's hangdog face when Richard told Locke that at least he didn't have to die, and Locke let him know that he had, in fact, died. Oh, yeah, Angela, I agree with you completely. Ben's facial expressions, they're so... Uh, I, I want to say meek, but he, you know Ben's not meek, but uh, he just looks so, so, I don't even know how to describe it, pathetic in a way. Let's see, you also say, I just wonder why Pierre Chang couldn't have stopped the digging if he did finally begin to believe Faraday. I was so hoping Dr. Chang would hug Miles or clap him on the shoulder. Oh well, at least I think Miles understands what happened better. Yeah, what is the authority structure in the Dharma Initiative? I wonder if Pierre Chang is simply the head of the science team and doesn't really have any say about the security matters and the construction matters. Um, that could explain why he doesn't really have that much authority over Radzinski and can't really tell him what to do, but I don't know, you think he could pull some strings or, or that he would have more people on his side. He seems to be such an important person within the Dharma Initiative. Here's an interesting comment from Ben. He says, I have a theory that Sawyer, Juliet, and Kate won't leave the island. The sub will go to the Looking Glass station first to pick up some people there. This is when something goes down and they end up getting kicked off and eventually back on the island. Ooh, I really like this explanation because I really don't want to see them leave the island. I really feel like they'd be abandoning everyone else. And, and that was so sad when Hurley was like, Sawyer's going to have a plan, and, and you're thinking, no, Sawyer's plan is just get himself and Juliet off the island. He's not thinking of saving anyone else at that point. Um, and all along they've sort of worked as a team and acted as a team, but um, they're getting to the point where things are happening so quickly and everything's so dangerous that it, it did sort of become every man for himself. Moving on to some emails, Kelly wrote in with some um, great thoughts about Richard Alpert. She says, In the 70s and in 2007, he maintained the same worried-slash-concerned expression. I'm getting the impression that Richard knows something is getting seriously challenged by Eloise and the losses of the past, and by John Locke in the present. I wonder what has the normally cool, under-pressure Richard worked up. Here is my nutty theory. Daniel was supposed to threaten Richard with a gun and get shot by Eloise. That would explain his careless, suicidal behavior. He wanted to push the destiny envelope to make Eloise do what she is supposed to do, but with a little twist. He would tell her that he's her son without her having to discover it on her own. It hastens the timeline. When Eloise took a serious interest in the time-traveling Daniel and his friends, this caused Richard to fret because, wait for it, it didn't happen before. What happened happened, but what's happening now is a different story. Richard does not know what is going to happen, and Eloise, for the first time, is clueless. As for the present-day Richard Alpert, he is fretting because, wait for it, this new, confident John Locke is a wild card in what happened happened. How could a dead, insecure man come back from the dead with a new attitude and truly take charge of his people? Locke's revelation at the end was priceless. He wants to kill Jacob. Really? I wonder why. Interesting theory there, Kelly. Uh, Richard does look awful worried, and I'm thinking now about the line Ben said, when, when Locke told him, I want you to come with us, we have an errand to run. And uh, Ben said, why, are you afraid I'm going to stay here with people that used to be my people and stage a coup? Well, Ben is sworn to follow and obey 
block, but Richard hasn't, so, you know, maybe that's a subtle hint that, hmm, there could be an overthrow of the leadership of John Locke, and it may not necessarily come from Ben, although he would probably try to assist Richard however he could, but it could be coming from Alpert. Ryan in St. Louis emailed in very briefly and just said, Maybe I didn't hear correctly, but where is Charles Widmore when everyone else is going to get Jughead? Yeah, I couldn't hear that part very well either. I, I couldn't hear what he was saying, and maybe someone with the, who used the closed captioning could tell us what was being whispered if, if that was in the closed captioning, but um, I definitely couldn't even catch it the second time through when he was arguing with Ellie, and I don't know why he wouldn't want to be involved unless he doesn't think it's a good idea or she didn't tell him the full extent of the plan. Um, an email from Stephanie Mack has a really interesting theory about Miss Hawking, and, and how does she know? This, this goes back more to the variable. Um, she first points out that Charlie was said by Miss Hawking to have his father's hair. Well, how did Miss Hawking know that? And, and Charlie's hair was blonde, you know, and it was curly, but uh, how would Miss Hawking know that his hair was that much like his father's? Or maybe she's seen him in the future, I think, is what is what you're implying here, Stephanie Mack, if I'm reading this correctly, that the wavy hair was the same, but then um, usually as you get older, your hair gets darker. If you start out blonde, it definitely um, usually gets a little darker. And so maybe um, as he ages, his hair does get darker and starts to look a lot more like his dad's. Maybe she knows that because she knows something about his future. Um, but I don't know, because at the same time, she said, for the first time, I don't know. So I don't know if she can't tell anything that's happening in the future at that point. Um, and then let me read a few other things here. Um, Stephanie Mack says, This episode featured Desmond recovering and Dan dying. I think these two men are both special. Perhaps the rules don't apply to Dan either. Dan believed that whatever happened, happened. Maybe that's because his mother taught him that. She seems to be a mathematician in her own right. She knew that the man in the red shoes would die. How? Not from the journal. Darleton have described her as a temporal policeman in the past. She described raising Dan as her job. Perhaps she knew that both Dan and Desmond had the ability to change the path of events in time, and therefore it was her job to guide them both and make sure they did not deviate from the assigned path. I believe she has been watching Desmond his whole life. She placed Father Campbell in his life to get him to that monastery. She was there at the ring shop when he came in. She has a general read on events in time. That's how she placed herself in the shop at that time. It's how she knew about the man with the red shoes. It is also possible that she knew that Dan was able to change events in history so catastrophically that it was best to have him die back in the past rather than let him live to rip time apart. Wow. This is a, a very well-thought-out theory, Stephanie Mack. Thanks for sharing this with us. Um, I like the way you say that she has a general read on events and time, that she kind of knows generalities, maybe not, maybe not too many specifics, but she can kind of tell the way things are supposed to go. Um, and hey, Stephanie Mack, great to see you on Twitter now. Everyone should uh, look up Stephanie Mack from Lostaholics and check out Lostaholics as well. I have another email here that also refers back to the variable. This one's from Manuel, who says that he is also the nameless caller from the voicemail um, a few weeks ago, the person who didn't leave a name, so uh, now we know. That was Manuel. And he says, I'm not a gun expert, but it looked like Ellie shot Faraday with a rifle. Faraday was right in front of Albert, so my question is, why didn't the bullet go through him and hit Albert? It looked like Albert thought he got shot, which is what I thought would have happened, because it was a rifle bullet and not a handgun. So, 
I kind of wondered about that too, Manuel, but the conclusion that I came to was that it must have just been the angle, and I think we could see that a little more clearly in Follow the Leader, that um, Ellie was kind of off and to the side, and she shot, and, and Richard wasn't really in the line of fire. And again, I don't know anything about guns or bullets or how far the bullet would go into the body or through the body or, or anything like that. So um, again, I guess I'll just throw another gun question out there. If anybody knows, feel free to write in and let us know. Well, I also want to thank Seth for his email. He was uh, speculating on a few things actually before this week's episode. So some of the things have been answered, but um, he, he thinks that everything that Miss Hawking knows is from Daniel's diary and that it seems like when Faraday walked into the other's camp that he wanted to get shot and uh, that that was why he was waving the gun around and acting so crazy and I think uh, Kelly mentioned that in her email too um, and it does seem like he was maybe deliberately provoking them. Um, I don't know if he knew he had to die. He didn't seem to know that. Um, not like John Locke knew he was supposed to die, but I guess if Faraday had the chance to go back and talk to uh, himself somewhere back in time, I guess he probably would have told himself when and where he died and, and how and by whom he was killed. The last little bit of feedback here, um, not exactly an email, but Clara and I were chatting on Gmail chat after the episode, and Clara was um, sharing some thoughts about John Locke's faith, and he seems to be moving past the faith that he used to have, and she compares it to more of a, a New Age idea, and um, who does he think he's talking to um, if the island's talking to him, and um, he thinks he's hearing these things from the island, and she says, well, before it was, I believe in the island, and in Jacob as the voice of the island, and now it's, no, I can do it myself. It's, it's more of a uh, power within, and I'm going to get the instructions from myself. And so I guess the question becomes, is there something bigger than Locke that's on the island, that's part of the island, that really can tell him what to do and uh, has authority to tell other people what to do? What I really think at this point is happening is that Locke is trusting in his own self, maybe in his instincts or in his reactions to the situations, to guide what he does immediately, but I think that his goal comes from somewhere bigger, maybe, and uh, I think that he hasn't completely lost faith in there being some sort of um, stronger power there on the island. He's had visions before, and remember the sweat lodge and the visions that he had there, and, and the special paste stuff that he made. Um, those visions, they seemed legitimate, and they seemed to be coming from the island, and uh, he certainly believed those, and he followed those and trusted those visions. So um, I don't think he has lost faith entirely that um, that there is something else directing him, but I think he does seem to be, uh, like you pointed out, Claire, he does seem to be trusting himself a lot more and kind of, kind of uh, blazing his own trail here. So uh, that takes us to the end of all the feedback. So, of course, the next thing up is character awards, and then we'll wrap things up. So first, to uh, take a look back at the character awards from last week for the variable, we had two nominees. The first one was Richard Alpert for trying to keep the peace and showing genuine concern for Faraday, and the second option was Daniel Faraday for patience and perseverance while dealing with his mother and the pressure she placed on him. And there were a few comments that said, well, since Faraday is dead now, um, and doesn't seem to 
um, have really much chance of making it into many future episodes that they are voting for Faraday, which is a, uh, a nice sentiment. But the vote for the first time ever is tied, split evenly 50-50. So I guess I get to be the tiebreaker. <laughs> so I'm going to say Daniel Faraday because I have not voted yet. I have not voted yet. So Daniel Faraday gets my vote, um, not just because he's dead and might not get a chance to be in the poll again, but um, because I think uh, he did put up with a lot of pressure from his mom and he worked really hard and um, really persevered and, and was patient with her. I mean, he got a little impatient at points, but I think that after years and years of, of dealing with her and, and the things she put him through, that I think that's understandable. Now for this week, I have two new nominees. And the first one is Sawyer, who is nominated for his concern for Juliet for getting her off the island when they were offered the option, and also for putting up so well with Redzinski when he was beating him up. And the second option is Pierre Chang for finally believing that Miles is his son, believing that these people are from the future, and, and you know, not not really freaking out when he hears this news. You know, he he really takes it well, he takes it in stride. Um, much better than he took it a couple hours earlier when when um, Daniel Faraday approached him about it at the Orchid Station. And then also for, of course, evacuating everyone, you know, taking action in response to what he now believes. So those are the two options. You can go and vote on the poll. You can go to the blog, annainindiana.wordpress.com, click on the polls tab, and the poll will be the top one on the list there, or I'll also put it in the blog post with this episode. Now, of course, you can always come by the blog and leave your comments. Um, you can email me at anna.in.indiana at gmail.com, and then you can also look on the contact page on the blog if you want to call. That's probably easier than me giving out the number here every time. Um, you can go there and look up the number and call and leave a voicemail anytime that you want. Um, so those are the different ways to get in touch. Like Denise and I said earlier, we are on Twitter as well. There are so many wonderful lost people, fans, and podcasters, and everyone on Twitter so um, that's a great way to get involved in the community a little bit more if you are looking to get to know some of these other lost fanatics a little bit more. Um, also, great ways to do that are showing up to live shows as other people record their live podcasts. That's a great way to get to know people as well. Um, keep in mind what Denise and I said earlier about trying to do an initial reaction next week. We'll see uh, how that idea pans out. But if you're interested in being on the call, um, I'm assuming we'll probably let anyone call in. But if if you know you're interested already and you're in the East or Central time zones, then definitely um, send me an email and just say, hey, I'm interested. And then I'll know, you know, to plan on, on you being there and, and we'll um, we'll go from there. So. Thank you all once again for listening. Um, I guess the next time you'll be hearing my voice will be after the season five finale, which is unbelievable. I mean, this is my uh, my first season of podcasting about a TV show, and it's been a lot of fun, and uh, you guys have made it even better for me. So um, thanks for that, and I will talk to you guys next week. episode was provided by the Podshow Podsafe Music Network. Check them out at music.podshow.com.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.